The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up with the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least, but there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic grain and energy solutions bored of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. A mostly lower day across grains and livestock to start the week. Welcome into Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here today as we kicked off the week on Monday with a mostly lower trade in the ag commodities. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. We're going to discuss the markets coming up here on the program today with John Heinberg of Total Farm Marketing. We'll get to John coming up here in segment two and three today. We'll also head back to the cattle industry convention a few weeks ago in New Orleans and listen to some of our updates from there as well here on today's program. Well, as we start off a new week and take a look at what's happening with the weather across the country, already a fairly wild start to the new week here as we get ready to exit February and head into the month of March. Joining us now to talk about the weather, Eric Snodgrass of Nutrient is with us. And Eric, good to catch up with you, sir. And I know uh, you had a little bit of severe weather roll through your neck of the woods early on Monday morning, and we've seen uh, plenty of severe weather in parts of the plains, snow in the west. There's a lot going on to start the week is it there yeah you know and it was this all part of the same storm system so this is the one that came down across the west coast over the weekend it was the one that put that snow into southern california I mean, a lot of folks in southern california this was their first time experiencing snow of course they can see it in the mountains all the time but first time experiencing it some places in the sierra nevada though added another uh, six feet of snow and they may have this is no joke with the next system that comes through they may be looking at another 40 to 100 inches of snow which means California this year isn't begging for a miracle march. They've got the moisture in place. It's actually there all the way to the uh, upper Colorado basin right now. So there's good snowpack in the west. But that same system then on Sunday night came out in the southern plains. And the first thing it did was just light up uh, New Mexico into Texas with a massive dust storm. I think it's the sixth one I've counted so far this year down there. So that just really illustrates the drought. And then last night, we're already up over nine reports of tornadoes last night alone, plus 170 other reports of severe wind and hail. And that same, same storm system's coming through the eastern Corn Belt today. And just literally in my like backyard, I was on a meeting today, about a half mile from my house, we had a, a tornado. So I'm like looking at my radar imagery over here, talking to this guy <laughs> on this meeting, like, I need to, I need to go. I got to go see this. But I missed it. But my colleagues were out chasing it and did see it. Thankfully, that one was in. Of course, our fields are no, not planned or anything. So it was all out in the middle of the fields. Uh, best way you could have a tornado is just no crop in the ground, no houses nearby. So thankfully, no damage out of those early. So that's going to keep moving east. And uh, it's got a winter storm warning on this one to the north. We got wind advisories all over the midsection of the country. And so it's kind of like this is a, a late February line, but we have a March line coming in behind it. So yeah, there's going to be no rest for us this week as we watch this pattern unfold. 
Real quick before we talk about what's ahead for the month of March with some of that rain, severe weather coming through the central southern plains, are we going to get moisture there? And this might tie into what's coming in March. Did we get some moisture to help out that winter wheat crop at all despite the severe weather? In some places, yes. But the problem has been that the dry line, that's a real common term when you're in the southern plains, the dry line has been pretty far to the east. And so these storms blew up in central Oklahoma, central Kansas, and then kind of the far western edge of the Red River. So this didn't like get that moisture back farther to the west where we need it. I'm talking like panhandles, western Kansas and parts of southeastern Colorado. So uh, so no, not necessarily there, uh, but mm-hmm. it certainly is a soaker other places. And so we're still watching. Remember, most of the Mississippi, Missouri and Ohio Valley have deep soil moisture deficits. This is good. We need this moisture to do it. We had the massive winter storm last week that put a bunch of snow stretching from South Dakota through Minnesota, Wisconsin. That's good. That's all in place. That's moisture we're going to get later when that all melts off. But to be honest, it's going to take good spring rain to undo that. But if we have all this spring rain, we have to start worrying about fighting type planting windows. So it's kind of a a give and a take here. We need to cure the longer term drought situation, but we need to also uh, bring up that soil moisture at the same time. But by the way, real quick, uh, last week's soil, excuse me, last week's drought monitor shows that from the peak in last November, early December, we've dropped 30% in land area covered in drought. So most of that's been east, though, not in the central plains. Mm-hmm. Well, that's at least one good thing, getting some of it gone. Uh, as we look into March, what are some of your thoughts, just what we're going to see later this week and the next couple of weeks ahead here, Eric? Well, there's a bit of a pattern shift coming up, and I've been really skeptical of it, but this weekend finally got me convinced that it's it's really going to be there. So we've had a big southeastern ridge that's kept much of the eastern half of the country warm. That's why the Great Lakes are less, I think they're now less than 5% ice covered. That'd be near record low territory. It's just been so mild east and cold west. Well, we needed to have something to displace all of this. And what we see forecast in the models is that after about the 8th or the 9th of March, a big blocking pattern is going to set up in the Bering Sea, and that just changes everything downstream where we are. It's going to push some of that colder air that's to the west finally over us. It's going to be this mid-March cold, maybe week to 10 days. We just want to make sure that we can break that and get back over to mild conditions as we go into April because those insurance states came back, right? They're a little earlier now than they were in previous years. So a lot of guys are going to be wanting to go by like April 5th and in and around the ice states with their corn. So I think we're going to have to watch those all very carefully. But yeah, there's the risk of some colder air finally getting here and some snow maybe in the Midwest by later this week. Uh, Where I live, we have not needed more than a broom to push the snow this year. Uh, This storm system late this week that could produce severe weather to the south. I'm talking about over the uh, like the, the, the lower Mississippi River Valley in the southeast to the north snow, Missouri, Illinois, Indian, Ohio, Uh, where you are. It's going to be all rain, possibly some stronger storms. That'll be our March lion coming in here. And behind it, that's when I think we're going to get finally some of the colder air arriving. Well, Eric, also, how does La Nina figure into this? Are we starting to shift out of this La Nina pattern? Sure. You know, if you were just to show me the trade wind behavior right now, I'd say, what La Nina? The trade winds are not behaving like a La Nina. Excuse me. And on top of that, the ocean temperatures have been really increasing in temperatures over the last month or so. Like right out there in the middle of the Pacific, we're now technically out of La Nina territory. They're warmer. Mm-hmm. a half degree below normal Celsius. So that's the range you typically look for. So it's good. I'm glad to finally say that we got a La Nina forecast right, because uh, this one is fading very quickly. What that could mean for us later is better chances of precip through the growing season. It could mean that the greater risk of heat will be way to the west. I'm talking like Great Basin to the Pacific Northwest, 
going into summer. That's a, that's a possibility with this particular pattern, which could point to some big yields. But you know how it works, man. We got to wait till mm -hmm. we get to June, see what the pattern's doing at that time period, those critical time periods for our crops to see if the ridge is here or if it's west of here. Also, quick update on South America. What's the latest down there? Big issue for me is kind of this uh, the, the setup that's happening between southern Brazil and Argentina. So Argentina's forecast is double down again on the dryness. The temperatures are coming back up, so it's going to be mild. But you get north of there into southern Brazil, like Mato Grosso do Sul, Parana, Santa Catarina, Sao Paulo, Goiás, and then over to Paraguay. And over the last 45 days, it has been soaking wet there. I got a message last week from a guy that I know down there said he's had 600 millimeters of rain in the last 30 days. That's two feet of rain, right? I mean, I think I did that math right, about 24 inches of rain. And so they're trying to get the crop out in central Brazil, and there's just no break in the action at all for them in terms of precip, while Argentina goes hotter and drier, which is going to continue to be, I think, a story going forward. I thought it would have broken already for Argentina, but no, it just keeps going. Well, Eric, we appreciate the time. As always, folks can stay up to date with the weather, your daily weather newsletter. They can sign up for that on our website, markettalkag.com. Have a great week, sir. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah, you too. Up next, John Heimberg of Total Farm Marketing. Back with more Market Talk of the Way right after this. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we kicked off the week of trade on Monday, we saw mostly lower day across commodities, grains, and livestock trade, mostly lower, a few bright spots, a little bit of strength in bean meal and in cattle, a little more mixed there, but otherwise, mostly down day, plenty to take a look at. Joining us now, our good friend John Heimberg with Total Farm Marketing is on with us. John, good to catch up with you. I hope you had a good weekend, sir. Yeah, just a busy one, just a busy one. I'm a basketball coach. Our season unfortunately ended, so... Went through a little pulse basketball depression syndrome, as we call it here. So other than that, decent weather at least. So nice feeling that sun, even though it's cold, it still feels a lot warmer than it did two months ago. That's for yeah. sure. That's true. That's true. Well, and uh, sad to hear the team lost, but, you know, it wraps up, I'm sure, another – Another good season and uh, letting uh, letting the team play and and learning some things there from your coach. That's always a good thing. So, let's uh, let's see if we can uh, learn some things from you on this market trade here today. I think we can, John. Uh, mostly lower to start the week on Monday. This wheat market, especially, just keeps getting pummeled. I know the charts don't look very good there. Uh, what's your take with what you saw on Monday's trade action in grains? You know, again, first off, it's Martin, you know, the uh, first notice day for the March contract today. We got a lot of little pieces moving here. You know, options expiration last week, throw the USDA outlook form numbers in. And on top of that, too, if anybody's sitting on a hedge to arrive for March, we've got to get them rolled or moved somehow. You know, I think a lot of those factors came into play in terms of the market in general the past couple of days, especially with this meltdown. And just throw in the fact that, you know, we haven't had a good idea where the funds are. It just feels like they maybe they're moving some money to the sidelines now that we actually get a little bit of a number on Friday, which is, you know, obviously two and a half, three weeks old or wherever it's at. Just didn't give us a whole lot of good, but just again shows us where things are. You know, that wheat market, again, it's just been pummeled here. And now we got the March contract back under the seven handle, which is a little bit scary to me. You know, now we're looking at some long-term trend lines. We maybe need to hold those, obviously, here. Or we open up the door for some more even aggressive selling in that sector. 
you know, you got the green trade deal coming up with the Ukraine in the middle of March. I think there's a lot of speculation what could be happening there. Does that get expanded? Does it get reduced? You know, it just feels like right now this market just doesn't want to go anywhere. Throw the moisture that's building across some portions in this in the United States here in terms of the Southern Plains. You know, this market just isn't very friendly on a commodity that is a dollar sensitive, which is rallying, and we just can't get some sold at this time frame. So, you know, and that's been the leader, I think, to the downside here, probably being the anchor to the corn market, you know, overall, as we kept breaking with those big moves last week, and corn just had to follow just because of the, you know, the tie to similar grains. Well, to your point on the things you mentioned, all great thoughts. I want to throw one more out there, and you can talk about this if if you want durable goods orders. Uh, or that that news came out Monday morning, and you know I think everyone kind of looked at the uh, the headline number at first, but then as commodity traders started to dive into those numbers a little bit, I think there was some uneasiness about maybe some loss of demand if the Fed has to indeed uh, continue to raise rates. And that's still kind of the, the elephant in the room is what's going to happen on the interest rate side in the longer term. And obviously, you know, they're trying to get this economy and the inflation side under control, uh, which, you know, the anti-inflation play is the commodity sector. And, you know, so I think that's even another little piece of the puzzle that's out there that, you know, last year we were talking about inflation being here and being big and that money flowed in and, and you know, on top of the fact the Ukraine war was a year ago too, and that, that doesn't seem to be, you know, any news in that regard other than it's still there and it's a conflict. But as long as grain moves, the market, I don't think really even, unfortunately, doesn't care, you know, even though it's still a humanitarian crisis. You know, it's just a just some area now we've hit where this, the momentum just seems to have kind of fallen out of bed. And that can always have me worry when you chop sideways as long as we have, especially in that corn market, when you get that break, just to get some money flowing, people just kind of pile on very quickly. And we saw that a little bit last week and with a little more follow through here today. Now, maybe we're going to wash out some week longs here. Maybe we'll find some support. We'll still look at those you know, overall tighter U.S. supplies. You know, globally, corn production versus global demand is still going to be a little bit on the tighter side. You know, it's, so there's still some things out there that can keep this market supported. At least here in the short term, short term the funds feel like they've just got a room to step this thing to the downside. Well, and those funds, you brought up the CFTC data and obviously a couple of weeks old, finally getting that back. And, you know, they're saying that I think there's still a little unknown to how they're going to roll this all out and catch us back up, so to speak. Uh, and I'm I'm very curious to see just how long the funds are or short in some of these markets uh, and what. You know, I wonder, too, you throw there in there with the options expiration you mentioned. We got, obviously, the end of the month and the beginning of a new month, and that always is kind of wonky in the market. So I think all of that surrounding this feels like we need to be on our toes when it comes to our risk management here, John. I would agree. You know, and again, we've been talking about this for a while, that there's good value there. And, you know, the other just little subtle factor, we had a – a few pennies spread between March and May, and that seemed to zero out last week when we got to that 650 handle. And immediately makes me look at this difference between May to July and say, you know, there's 10 cents of room there. To, do we bleed that out? You know, is the market getting a little bit more comfortable on a daily basis with the front end supply? The other thing I've really been watching a lot of and been using with the clients are the bear spreads, you know, old crop versus new. 
you know, you look at May, December, we're talking a spread that was trading 95 and today it's down to, you know, 68 cents. So we've lost a lot of that mm -hmm. value. There's even more room on the charts for that spread to go. And I think all we would need on that is just some export demand to get it cut away, adding to that carryout in the March report. And I think you really can see that tighten up here, you know, just again with the market getting more comfortable with what we got in the front end. Ag Outlook Forum numbers last week from USDA got kind of their first peek at what they're thinking for acreage, et cetera, yield potential, et cetera. When you saw those numbers and you think about some of the, the way the market has acted the last couple of days, do you feel like we saw some reaction to those numbers as well to the downside here, John? You know, possibly. I mean, again, we're breaking the narrative a little bit, I guess, with those numbers. You know, I remember just a handful of years ago that those numbers really didn't mean anything. And <laughs> I think with our social media clickbait, you know, type society yeah. that we've got nowadays, and you know, I don't remember analyst expectations coming out for those things a handful of year ago, a handful of years ago. Uh, in terms of that, now that seemed to be kind of the news. And you know, again, what's the trend? Acres up, production up. Okay, supply higher, you know, price forecasted lower. So, so obviously it wasn't a positive report, at least in terms of long-term trend. But, you know, realistic, realistically, they're budgetary items. You know, they're 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 worth about the paper they're written on overall because things will change dramatically after we get the planning intentions report here on the at the end of the month. You know, and as well as where we are with the next green stocks report. You know, so we'll see uh, in that regard. But at least right now, with the market where it was, with the lack of news, the lack of momentum, the lack of things that we're seeing in the marketplace, at least gave the market maybe something to trade, and it wasn't a positive tone. And obviously, that about allowed the market to slide in that regard. Well, we are having a conversation today with John Heinberg of Total Farm Marketing. We're going to continue that convo coming up here after the break. I want to get into the livestock trade and the dairy markets with John a little bit here as well on today's show. Let's take a look at final numbers from the day on Monday. March corn, seven and a quarter lower, 642 at three quarters. May corn down five at three quarters, 643 and a half. July corn down five, 633 and three quarters. December new crop corn was down a quarter penny, 576. March beans, 10 at three quarters lower, 1518 at a quarter. May down six and a half, 1512 at three quarters. July beans down seven at 1501 and a half. November beans down two at 1372. Bean meal for March, that was up $1.60 a ton, 498.70. May up $1.80 a ton, 481.80. Bean oil for March down 107.6004. May down 88 points at 60.34. Chicago wheat for March down 12 and a quarter, 696. May down 11 and three quarters at 710. July, Chicago wheat down 11 and a quarter at 718. Kansas City hard red winter wheat, March 18 and three quarters, lower 823. May down 18 and a quarter, 817. July down 16 and a half at 811 and a half. Spring wheat, March 16 lower, 869 and a half. May down 14 at 868 and a half. July spring wheat down 12 and a quarter at 865 and a quarter. Oats for March down three quarters, 378 and a quarter. And we also saw the cotton market on the day on Monday 
down 13 points in March, 85 even. May down 10 points, 84.80. Over in livestock trade, February live cattle down 20, 165. April down 40, 164.97. June live cattle down 20, 160.87. Feeder cattle for March, 10 higher, 189.17. April up 65, 194.22. May feeders up 67, 198.72. Hogs, April down 130, 84.72. May hogs down 122, 94.12. And June hogs down 137 and 102.10. July down 130, 104.52. We'll continue with John Heinberg at Total Farm Marketing coming up after the break. Back with more market talk right after this. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency, so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We're having a conversation here today with John Heinberg of Total Farm Marketing on today's Market Talk. John, uh, overall, when you, when you look at corn, beans, wheat here, just to wrap up our grain talk a little bit, uh, what... I guess what market are you least concerned about right now compared to say the market you are really concerned about? Is there, is there one that maybe you're, you know, one over the other that you're not as worried about here in the short term? No, I'm still going to kind of maybe beat the drum on the negative side of that soybean market again. You know, we've, we continue to watch the Argentine weather. We saw more cuts from, you know, Buenos Aires Grain Exchange. And, you know, then we had the little frost incident there, too, at the same time. Uh, again, minimal in probably terms of damage, but perception was another thing. You're talking about the, you know, clicks on the Internet. You know, but again, that market where, you know, today's export inspections maybe was the first little outlier of what things could be coming. Now, we'll see if that was just a bad day or does it just, uh, you know, something that will rebound quickly next week. That was pretty significant. If we don't get those beans that we've got sold on a boat and get them out of here, the prospects of cancellations demand and the carryout number going higher get there very quickly. And, then, you know, obviously you're looking at a South American bean that's trading, what, 80 cents a bushel or so. Some of the estimates I've heard underneath U.S. prices, you know, so that just gives room for that to occur. So that's the market I'm probably the most concerned about. Even though corn's had a bit of a rough go here, if we can find some stability in wheat, you still look at a tight domestic supply. You still look at a global supply that's actually decreasing. Throw into that late planting window here in Brazil. You know, that could come into play for that safrina crop or that second crop corn. You know, there's still a few things that may keep this corn market supported. I mean, we still got an east-west issue. You still got basis levels on the western side of the corn belt that are very, very friendly, and we got to get supply there. So that's still, at least to me, a bit of a floor that maybe if we sell to a point that might be a spring low, per se, you know, we'll have to see. But, you know, the momentum last couple of days, obviously, is very, very concerning. But did I answer that question specifically? feel a little, still a little comfortable about corn. Not that I think we're off to the races anytime soon, but at least maybe we can dig our heels in here. Uh, but that bean market, there still seems to be a, quite a bit of air underneath those charts. 
Oh, and to your point as well on export inspections, I'm I'm with you on the soybeans. That corn number did not look too great either. As we continue to be pretty dismal there, what was that? I think down 38% or something like that here last week, John. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, the number, again, wasn't where we needed. And you look yeah. at it on a historical chart, it's quite a gap between where we've been the last handful of years. You know, we need to see that Chinese demand. That's what the market is waiting for. It is not here yet. Maybe, maybe we're not cheap enough to get it there. So that, I mean, I will say, even though I feel like we can find some support just because of all the other little headlines out there, you know, that demand story, and I, that March report is going to make me a little nervous when that comes out. Do we see some more adjustments there? Do we move another 100 million or 70 million bushels back onto the carryout? And then, you know, that just continues that path where the supply side gets bigger and the path of least resistance for prices then will probably continue to at least on the old crop side of road. John, let's talk livestock. Uh, fairly quiet day in the cattle market. We, we held firm to slightly lower. Friday's cattle on feed report, cattle on feed down 4%. I, I feel like those numbers pretty much all came in as we expected, but also feels like a lot of that report was already baked into the market before we got to Monday's session, John. Yeah, consolidation day in the live cattle market, obviously, you know, in terms of where we are after that report and, you know, the price action on Friday before the numbers came out, you know, cattle on feed didn't, you know, gave us what we thought we were going to get again, smaller supplies overall, maybe that tighter placement number, at least according to expectations of the middle of the range, you know, was one a little bit of a positive. You know, so we're still really watching there in terms of where this thing's going to get to now might be a pause point. Cash market is still the king here. That's what's going to drive this higher. You know, talking to some producers, some of the bids continue to be very strong here in the shorter term. And I think that's still going to keep this market very, very supported. But again, you know, we're still poking up here at some pretty lofty prices. We're getting to a window. Maybe a winter high could be common. We typically see one. And then we get some pullback until we really start getting the grilling demand to kick in. You know, even though the supplies are tight and things are limited out there, it wouldn't shock me that we just see some money move out of this market. So don't forget about some of those short-term puts. You can put a little bit, pretty good floor underneath this market to protect some prices here and not spend a lot to do it and still keep your cattle available in case this thing does have one more good leg in it. So we'll see. But again, take a look at some of those flooring mechanisms here. I still don't know if I want producers locked into the upside, whether through a hedge or actually just physically selling the cattle. But I think I want some type of floor underneath these markets here, at least in these front end months. Hog trade started off firm on Monday. Then those front month contracts just fell apart. John, do you see anything uh, to give us a reason why we fell apart there? Well, the index put in a down day today, too. And again, that premium to cash still weighs heavily on that April contract. You know, so that's got me most concerned right there. That, you know, that, you know hey, I'm not getting out of the defensive side of things here just because mm -hmm. of that. You know, you're still looking at a six, seven, eight dollar gap between the index and the April contract. You know, we've had a, seen a nice trend in that live in the live uh, hog price here recently in terms of the direct as well as the index. But maybe get a little bit of a toppy signal here. We'll have to watch. You know, and then the retail side, you know, we didn't get much movement on Friday, which was a little bit disappointing despite a, a very big week in export sales on pork. Uh, you know, throwing a little bit of the cold storage numbers and some of the buildup there in terms of supplies. Just still this hog market, you know, is trending higher, right? but we may be working back to find the bottom of the range right now, at least in terms of those April futures. Uh, but again, still a lot of good value out in those summer months. So kind of watching that spread between the two. 
does that does the summer have to catch up to April a little bit, or does April find a way to tighten up that gap between you know underneath those summer months? Yeah, a lot of things to definitely keep an eye on there. How about the dairy trade? What do you see in there as we start off the week? You know, dairy trade continues to be choppy. It's finally building a little bit of a range here, but a little concern. We got a bit of a decline, you know, a bit of a wedge pattern forming. We got a good bottom on that March contract around that 1740 area with the double bottom. We've been kind of tightening up a series of lower low or higher lows and lower highs. Now we'll see if we can get some direction. You know, we need cash market to kick in, cheese, cheese trade to kick in. The biggest thing, though, is we still got a lot of fluid milk moving around out there right now. And as long as there's a lot of the milk supply, it's going to be hard for that market to really rally. So if we don't get some friend and lose here, I'm a little worried that that wedge breaks one more time to the downside. So dairy producers need to make sure you're staying on top of your marketing plan here. We've lost a lot of value, but there's still a lot of 19s on the board longer term. That might be some areas you want to make sure you're still looking at for some floor. Fantastic. John, before we wrap it up today and let you go, any final thoughts you want to share with us? You know, again, a lot of moving pieces. Now we're going to get into the acre battle here that February is coming to an end and the chatter that's going to be happening in those markets. I'll continue to watch those spreads. If we keep seeing this market lose that front end premium, that just makes me a little bit nervous. You know, I think September bean or September, ah, excuse me, December corn and November beans might now start shifting to what's the planning ratio, ratio going to be. And that could keep a little bit of support in those markets. Again, now to Father's Day, especially for, for Dees Corn, is probably the window we want to make sure we're starting to get something put together. You know, again, input costs are starting to come down a little bit. So with that, you know, that was a narrative for prices to go higher. Might be the same narrative for prices to go lower. So producers, make sure you're staying active in here and, you know, get something in. Again, the risk of doing nothing is greater right now than the, the cost of doing something. John, if folks want to reach out to you and get some advice there at Total Farm Marketing, I know you guys have a lot of great ways to stay in touch, get in touch. What's the best way? Sure. Feel free to reach out to me anytime, 800-334-9779. Shoot me an email at johnh at totalfarmmarketing.com. And then our website of ours, totalfarmmarketing.com. Going to be on the road tonight heading up to Mankato, Minnesota. So I'll be doing a meeting up in that area. So if you're somebody looking to attend that meeting, I'd be love to see you around. Again, just feel free to pick up the phone. Love to have a conversation and just talk markets with you. No obligation to do that. Well, John, safe travels and uh, have a great week ahead, sir. Thanks for the time. We'll talk to you again next week. Sounds good. Have a great week. And once again, that is John Heinberg with Total Farm Marketing joining us here today. Learn more online at TotalFarmMarketing.com. That's TotalFarmMarketing.com. One news item to share before we head to the break. The price of eggs projected to fall dramatically after reaching record high levels over several months. The USDA says those prices should fall back to typical levels this year, provided the U.S. doesn't see a rebound in highly pathogenic avian influenza cases this year. The Bureau of Labor Statistics says the price of eggs in January was 480 a dozen, 150% higher than in January of last year. USDA Chief Economist Seth Meyer told the Ag Outlook Forum attendees that wholesale egg prices will drop almost 27% this year. The agency says the high price of eggs is driven by the historic level of avian flu outbreaks that have killed more than 58 million backyard and commercial chickens and turkeys since last February. The agency says egg production will increase 4% this year to 9.4 billion dozen as the number of egg-laying chickens will also rebound from 2022. So, 
something to keep in mind there. Also, the White House announcing actions intended to hold Russia accountable for invading Ukraine. U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai says as part of that effort, President Biden announced additional tariff increases on a variety of goods from Russia worth approximately $2.8 billion. The president raised tariffs on most metal and metal products doubling them from 35 to 70 percent and targeting a crucial revenue generating sector of the Russian economy. He also increased tariffs on additional Russian products to 35 percent, including chemicals and minerals. These moves are complemented by tariff increases on Russian aluminum. Ty says, quote, these actions are carefully calibrated to put economic pressure on Russia while minimizing costs to U.S. consumers. As the president recently said in Poland, the United States and our allies and partners will hold accountable those who are responsible for the war, end quote. She also says those actions demonstrate the U.S. resolve in doing precisely that. Well, coming up here on Market Talk before we wrap up the program today, we're going to head back to the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA trade show in New Orleans a few weeks ago. I had a couple conversations I want to share with you. One with Dr. Tim Parks from Merck Animal Health, talking about vaccines and more, and then talking about spring calving season with Dr. Jody Wade of Beringer Ingelheim. We'll be back with more Market Talk on the way right after this. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen. Welcome back to Market Talk. Jesse Allen with you here. A few weeks back, I spent time at the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA trade show in New Orleans, Louisiana. And we're going to listen back to a couple of those interviews from the show. First up, we're talking vaccines and more with Dr. Tim Parks from Merck Animal Health. Well, let's talk a little bit about vaccination, that early vaccination in our calves. Obviously, we're getting to the spring calving season, very important time. This is a very timely topic. So just to start, what are some of your thoughts here when it comes to vaccination as we enter a critical time period? Well, coming into spring, calves are born. We got calves that are coming into some, they're coming into some weather stresses. We've got some cold snaps going places, a lot of things going on. We know that that calf needs, needs some protection early in its life. Hopefully if we've done everything in our cow herd, right, we've, we've established a, a good baseline of immunity in that cow herd that we're going to allow to have some, some antibody transfer through colostrum, other, other protein, energy, all that stuff that comes in to help give this calf a, a, an early start. So really the first vaccination that we put into them, our goal is we wanna prime that system. We want the immune system to get primed. We wanna create what we call immunological memory. So that calf's ready when we start to think about what we're gonna do down the line as we move these cattle through, through the production cycles, how do we get them there? And it really starts with these spring vaccines. Well, and you mentioned having that base and then building off of that base. So talk about what are some of the different products that Merck has? What are some of the things that you consider when it comes to those early vaccinations? Well, one of the big things we've really seen in the early vaccination stage really moves into the internasal space. Most of the new vaccines that have come to market uh, over the last several years have been internasal vaccines and for, for several reasons. But one of the key reasons is because we're able to get around those maternal antibodies. We want to vaccinate our cow herd. We want them to be in a good state of, state of health and good vaccination status. But now we get, we, hopefully we're dealing with maternal antibodies. Through the nasal cavity, we present that antigen differently and we just get a different response. We stimulate the immune system differently. So we have products like our, our Bovillus line of products, our, our cattle vaccine line is what Bovillus refers to. Uh, Nasalgen 3, Nasalgen 3 PMH. Internasal vaccines stimulate against the viruses, one combination with bacteria, to really get these calves a good start. We're going to create some protection early, but really set them up for some pre-weaning, weaning type 
vaccinations as well. And obviously getting that early vaccination and building that immunity. We, I know we have so many different diseases we have to watch out for throughout our cattle herd. Getting that early start, building that base, adding to it, so important when we're, when we're looking at our feedlots and looking at our cow-calf operations, etc. Yeah, if, if we think about when we really see our disease processes, we, we'll see some sick calves on, on, on the cow, but for the most part, we're going to treat after that weaning time frame. So it's so important to create this immunologic memory. So if they come in contact with the disease that we vaccinated against, we can see a response. Or when we put our booster vaccines in, we start to see a response much earlier. I mean, we'll start to see antibody levels increase and we start to see other cellular activities. So it's just really preparing that animal for when we know it's gonna be stressful. Right at that time of weaning, we're gonna start co-mingling all those things that, that really lead to bovine respiratory disease, which is really the focus of what we're, our, a lot of our vaccine programs are after. I'm sure if folks wanna learn more about the products that Merck Animal Health has, their local veterinarian, their local Merck representative, online, so many different ways to uh, get started, isn't there? Yeah, and start with your veterinarian, work with your veterinarians. I think it's so important to have a good relationship. They know the challenges that each herd's up against. They can help you determine when is the best time to to interact in these calves' life. So work with your veterinarian, work with your your Merck Animal Health uh, territory manager. Uh, Go to the website, MerckAnimalHealth.com, and all kinds of information out there for you. Fantastic. Dr. Tim Parson, Merck Animal Health. Thanks for the time here in New Orleans. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of the show. And next up, we talk to Dr. Jody Wade with Beringer Engelheim back at the Cattle Industry Convention in New Orleans a few weeks ago. Well, let's dive in and talk about spring calving season right around the corner, especially here across the Northern Plains. We're going to come out of the doldrums of winter and get into that spring calving season. As ranchers prepare for that, cow-calf operations prepare for that what are some tips you would have uh, just some reminders as we get into calving season good question jesse and, and with with guys getting ready to calve especially with spring season coming with all the input costs and everything that we've got in these calves this year it's going to be crazy so we kind of need to do things right so we need to make sure number one that they're getting good colostrum when they hit the ground so that they're protected through those first few stages of life and then making sure that we get the good vaccination programs in them as they age so as they go through that cycle we can keep respiratory disease out of, out of the picture and then obviously thinking about respiratory disease and that good vaccination plan what are some tips you would have on that front as as we get those newborn calves we're seeing a lot more of the modified live vaccines being used now especially in in these spring calvers uh, for preconditioning and programming and trying to get them ready for the feed yards eventually so the modified live vaccines have done really really well lots of improvements in the modified live vaccine area right now but for the guys that are still using the kills i mean they're still working they're still doing the thing it's just going to take a few more times through the shoot to make sure that they're protected with the kill vaccines. And obviously with Beringer Engelheim, you guys have a lot of great products out there for our ranchers. And then obviously them working with their veterinarian is super key as always. Yeah, we, we, we always try to make sure that there's a veterinarian involved. Uh, it's, it's been a crazy last two years, you know, past the COVID crisis and everything else. And for some reason, we're seeing a lot more respiratory issues in some of these calves, even though we may have done everything right. So it may be some environmental changes we're seeing, maybe mineral deficiencies, but there's a lot of things that's going on. And it really is nice to have a veterinarian to help diagnostically to, to get through some of those tough events. And I think, too, just to circle back a little bit as well, I've heard a lot of conversations about making sure you start off on the right foot 
when you have newborn calves building their you know their body up the immunity getting everything set right starting on the right foot is going to lead to just a, a better and healthier animal amen jesse that's the key too and and for what calves are going to be worth now we better make sure that we're doing everything right as they go through those stages to get there because prices on these cattle for the input costs we've, we, that we've got in them, we've got to make money on them. We have to get some money paid back for them. So making sure we get all that done, making sure we're jumping through all the hoops to make sure that they're healthy is crucial to getting the right price. And again, that's Dr. Jody Wade with Beringer Ingelheim from the Cattle Industry Convention a few weeks ago. That's going to do it for today's show. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency, so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.